We celebrate our dads today. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Luke chapter uh, 15. Luke chapter 15. As we celebrate that, two other things we want to celebrate. Uh, if you were here last week, Chris gave an invitation for people to uh, come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And in our three services on this campus, 25 people made a first-time decision to accept Christ as Savior and Lord. So we want to celebrate that. Awesome. Way to go. And then um, if, if you've been around our community of churches, we have a church in, in Orange, a campus in Orange, one in Anaheim, and uh, our church in Orange, our pastor Jay Hewitt is recovering uh, after brain surgery, and we just ask you to continue to pray for him and Natalie as they continue to march forward and do that, but we hired an interim pastor to, to take over in uh, his absence, and uh, just want to celebrate that God brought us a uh, a man who was on staff with us for three years and then was at Mariner's Church in Irvine for 19 years. And a great friend of mine, his name's Kyle Zimmerman. Kyle and Holiday Zimmerman are joining our team there. And they've already started and uh, he's preaching today. And so we're excited about what God's doing over in Orange and what he's doing in Anaheim. So we want to celebrate all the good things uh, that God has given us. And we're grateful for all of that. So way to go. Thanks for your prayers. Uh, I celebrate my dad. Uh, it's my second year with uh, him being in heaven. And not being around on Father's Day, but there's always things that live on with, with my dad. Um, and some of them are his corny jokes uh, and his corny sayings. He always said things and he never missed a, a beat when he did them. Uh, it was always interesting. But somebody would ask him a question and most of the time he would respond with this. Uh, when they'd ask the question, he would say, I would only do that if I was by myself or with someone standing up, sitting down, walking, running, awake, or sleep. Otherwise, the answer would be No. I don't even know what that means, but he would just say it. Not long before he passed away, my mom looked at him, and he used to have really wavy hair. And she said, Don, where have all the waves gone in your hair? And without missing a beat, he said, I guess they waved goodbye. (laughs) It's corny. See? It's corny. And I know none of you dads have any corny jokes or any sayings at all. But Jimmy Fallon uh, has this thing called hashtag and it's called hashtag dad's advice. So I have some dad's advice for us today and some dad's quotes. The first one is this from dad's advice. My dad told me that if I ever wanted to nap during class to make it look like I'm praying so my teacher couldn't get mad at me. (laughs) It's a pretty good one. Uh, At the airport, my dad said, put one shoe in each suitcase so if it gets stolen, they can't wear your shoes. (laughs) I don't... You couldn't wear them either. I'm not sure if one case got stolen, you'd have one shoe, but okay. Uh, My dad always tells me, don't use your turn signal. It's no one else's business where you're going. (laughs) That's pretty good. Here's some dad quotes. This morning, my dad forgot the name of everything bagels and asked me if I want an all-inclusive bagel. After a meal at a restaurant, if we had leftovers, when the waitress came over and said, do you want a box for that? My dad would reply, no, but I'll arm wrestle you for it. (laughs) That might have been my dad. And the last one, dad walked me down the aisle to marry my third husband. He looked at me and said, I keep giving you away and they keep giving you back. (laughs) Pretty funny if it wasn't so sad, but pretty funny. So dads, I don't know about you, but have you ever, um, as a parent, maybe walked in and maybe you saw some other parents either parenting or not doing such a great job of parenting, and you said to yourself, what is going on? Why can't they fill in the blank? None of you have done that because you're not a judgmental sinner like me, but I have looked at others and said, seriously, what is going on? 
I was traveling this week and I was in a hotel. And as I came down um, the elevator and I was going to breakfast, I walked past uh, this couple who had three young children. And the young children were just going nuts. And they were kind of not paying attention at all. They didn't even, they were oblivious. And things were going everywhere and, and they were loud. And I walked past and I said, seriously, can't you? I didn't say it out loud, just so you know. It was just in my mind. <laughs> can't you get control of your kids? And I just kept walking and I went into breakfast. And uh, as I came out of breakfast, nobody was there. Um, except the storm that had come through the lobby. And so here's what was left in the lobby after their great time. And I laughed because the guy that had to clean up was right there. And I said, that is awesome. And he looked at me like I was crazy and I'm taking a picture. And he didn't think it was too awesome because he had to go clean it up. And uh, you fill in the blank, you look and you say, seriously, what were they thinking? They just left the place a mess. And I don't know if you know this, but I do. Parenting's just hard. <laughs> and really what I was saying in my judgmental center spirit was, I'm a better parent of your kids than you are of your kids. But those parents never get a chance to judge me and all my A-plus parenting skills that aren't on display for them at the time. And let's just face it, all of us have had those moments. It might not look like the lobby, but... We've maybe made a mess of things. And I don't know about you, but in the heat of the moment when I have disciplined one of my kids and I have said some things or done some things that I wish I could take back, I've had to own them and apologize for them. I also know when there's things that I have disciplined them for, they seem to think that I like the other kids better than I like the one I'm disciplined at the time. You're not fair. This is not fair. You would never do this to fill in the blank. Or they did the same thing, brother or sister, but you never punished them like you punished me. <laughs> Fact is, we love them all the same, but we like them differently depending upon the situation. <laughs> and today is Father's Day. And we all have memories of our dads. Many of us have really good memories. Some of us have some really tough ones. There's good moments. There's hard moments. Some of you, as you look around, there's moments that you don't want to remember. You want to hold on to the beauty. You want to hold on to the memories. You want to hold on to the great moments. But you really, honestly, many of you today come. and It's a hard day because there's pain. There's sadness. There's brokenness. And you'd like to let some of that go. So today, where do we go from here? Well, I think Scripture wants to teach us something. And I'd like us to take it from the lens that all of us are kids today. We all have fathers. And today as kids, um, I want us to be reminded. I didn't come in to reprimand. I think there's enough of that. I don't need to come in and tell you where you're wrong. We all fall short. We're broken. Today, I just want to remind you, and I pray you leave knowing above all that you have a really, really good father that love you, that created you, that is for you. And not one of us that are fathers, I think, set out to be a bad one but we've probably made some decisions that we wish we could go back and redo. So today we're going to look at Luke 15. And we're going to see a younger son and an older son. And I want us to see through the lens of kids today, all of us. We're going to see preferred favoritism. We're going to see bitterness. We're going to see some anger or rebellion. But we're going to see forgiveness and grace and unconditional love. This section is usually called the parable of the prodigal son, but I think it should be called the parable of the prodigal's father, 
or really the forgiving father. There is nothing like the father's response to this parable that Jesus is telling. There's four different stories that kind of go on, four reactions in the parable. The parable is mostly uh, allegorical as each member of the story contributes greatly to its ultimate meaning. But the father in this story is a picture of God, our heavenly father. The youngest son or the prodigal is a picture of a sinner who, who goes away and walks and lives his life like he wants to live it and then he comes back and he repents from his sin and he returns home. The oldest son really in this is a picture of the attitude of the Pharisees or the religious leaders that really weren't into repentance. They were into people being into religion. And then there's the picture of Jesus who's telling the story and does what only Jesus can do, points him to his good, good, heavenly Father. One who is full of love today, full of compassion and full of hope. And so the story begins in verse 11. It says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, uh, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set up for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his, feed, his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So the man has two sons. The younger one is a picture, really, of greed and reckless living and wasteful living. He goes to his dad, and... Uh, he says, give me the inheritance, and the father says, here you go. And the son leaves, and he tries to escape his homeland. But as he goes, he tries everything, and he lives wild, and he has a party, and it's good for a while, but at the end, it leaves him empty and embarrassed. And he's hanging out with the pigs, and he says to himself, these pigs, these animals, they're better off than I am. And after he wanders away and is empty and embarrassed, he's left alone. The father in this opening is a picture of someone who's empowering and loving and who has given his son free will. It's your life. Live it as you would want to live it. I'm allowing you to choose. And in this moment, he says, I want my inheritance. And the father gives him his inheritance and he lets him go to live his own life. Love isn't love if it's forced upon us and he understands that. So he lets him go. So the young man's out, and when he comes to his sentences, as he's hanging out in the pig pen, he realizes, all my servants that my father has hired, they live better than I do. I'm hanging out in an animal. i got to figure out how I'm going to get back home, and i got to figure out the story I'm going to say to my father, but I need to tell him I've sinned against him, and I've sinned against heaven, and I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. Just make me like one of your hired servants. And we continue the story in verse 20, and I love this line, so he got up from the pig pen. And he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. And he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers. Put some sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and we're going to kill it. Let's have a feast. We're going to celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. So they began to celebrate. I love that opening line. When he realized how empty and embarrassed he was, it says, so he got up and he went to his father. 
He didn't go up, get up to go find another job. He didn't get up to go back home. He got up and went to his dad. I don't know about you, but uh, there's times when I, I've had to make that phone call to my dad when I didn't want to make that phone call to my dad. Any of you ever had that phone call to your dad? When I've done something that, that I'm figuring out in my head the story. <laughs> and I'm going over it, over it, and over it, and how it's going to go down. Can you imagine what's going on in this dude's mind? <laughs> my dad let me go. He loved me. Gave me all my inheritance. Now I've squandered it. What am I going to say? How's he going to react? I don't know. I think it's pretty telling that the first line he says is he went back to his father. I, I remember in, in college, I, I had to make that phone call home. and um, I, I, I parked I illegally a lot in college. I don't know about you, but in college, there's not many places to park. And uh, I would park my car illegally. And what happened is I got wheel locked a few times. I don't know if you know what that is. They put like a little lock on your wheel so you can't drive it. And then they charge you for that to take it off. Campus security at Azusa Pacific loved me. They did this three times. And every time I would say, just put it on my bill. What I meant was, I'm deferring this to later. And I'm just going to pray my dad doesn't see the bill. <laughs> but that phone call had to come when I had to call him. My son, now it's coming back to haunt me because we've just had that conversation with him as he came home from Point Loma and there's a bill that he has for something he did and it wasn't wheel locked, it was something different. And I said, I ain't paying for that. <laughs> have you ever been there when you gotta, you gotta make that call? This guy's gotta be rehearsing in his mind what I'm gonna say to dad. Dad, I'm, I'm sorry. I've squandered everything, and I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. Just let me be a servant. And you love the dad's response, don't you? He doesn't even respond to him like probably I would as a dad. In my humanity, what are you thinking? What'd you do with all the money I gave you? I can't believe how irresponsible you'd be on and on and on, and it goes in my head that I'm ready because I'm just fired up. But you know what he does? It says he's quick. Goes, get him a new robe, put a ring on his finger, give him some new kicks, and guess what? We're going to go get the side of beef because we're going to party tonight. It's a celebration. My son has come home. When your son's away from college, if you haven't gotten to that stage yet, or your daughter, um, one of the things I do is when I know Nolan's coming home every four to six weeks or so, or if he needs wash done earlier, I know that um, <clears throat> when I get that text that I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for him to come home. In the times I've, I've watched or, or waited, I, I've gone outside and I've, I've, I've met him, maybe halfway on the walkway, just because I'm so glad he's there. And I hugged my son. He called me in between services today. I loved talking to him. But after I'd hug him and, and he's home for a couple days, I'm ready for him to go back to college. But it's been great for those two days that he's home. <laughs> in this culture... Uh, for the dad to go out to meet the son, that was uncommon because the son or the daughter would have to come to the dad and it was usually out of reverence that something would happen. There would be an acknowledgement before there would be the relationship of a hug or a handshake. And yet it says the dad saw the son and it said he ran out to get him. Dad, I'm sorry, man, I blew it. I'm not even worthy of being your ser servant, quick. Get him a robe, get him a ring, get him some new shoes, and let's party.
But then here comes the sibling rivalry. Here comes the little tension that comes into the story. And I love what it says. It says, meanwhile. It's sort of like, here's what's happening over here. The older brother's a little ticked off. He doesn't know what's going on. There's dancing and there's a celebration and there's lots of partying going on. And he comes up and it says he talks to his servant. He said, what's going on? He says, your younger brother's home and your dad's killed the fatted calf. He got him some new kicks and some new clothes. He's got a sweet ring. We're going to celebrate tonight. And the, the, the oldest son's like, you got to be kidding me. And in verse 28, the older brother became angry, it says, and he refused to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. I love it. The dad goes out again to the other son. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, (laughs) not my brother, when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed a fatted calf for him. It's always interesting, isn't it, that how when we're bitter, we exaggerate the circumstance? (laughs) Many times it it is bad, but we remember it way worse. How do you think that dad felt? Hey, you never did anything for me. Really? Never? (laughs) Nothing. You didn't even give me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But see, those exaggerations... When you hang on to bitterness, it grows roots and it gets deep. And it's way bigger than it was a year or two or three or four years ago. The older brother was unappreciative, yet dad was there every day. He had the company of his father. He had the opportunity to be in relationship with him. And yet he missed it. The proud and the self-righteous always feel that they are not treated as well as they deserve to be treated, yet his father was right there all the time, and he never really engaged, the story tells us. I told my neighbor who was sitting here in the first service, I drove by last night after church, and he was out playing with one of his sons, and usually when I drive by this one home, they're out in the yard, and he was sitting on a trash can, and I roll down my window, and I go, how's it going? He goes, bottom of the night, two strikes. And he's catching, and uh, his son threw the ball, and I heard him call him out, and I drove away, and I thought, (laughs) and I thanked him this morning. I just said, keep playing catch with your son. The presence of a dad, just to know that you're there, he missed it, because it wasn't fair didn't seem right in his eyes, didn't understand the whole story, didn't know everything, didn't know what it's like to be a dad and have a love for a child. And here's what he says in verse 31, my son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost, and he is found. I don't know about you, but your heavenly Father today comes to tell you that you are loved. That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you once were lost. It says you once were dead spiritually. Not a chance, but Jesus Christ came, and you accepted the free gift of salvation. He says you are my child, and you are my son. And every time you walk to Jesus, and you go before him and you ask forgiveness, it says he welcomes you back and forgives you and he loves you. 
And this morning, the younger son asked the dad for two things. The first thing he asked is, Father, will you give me? Father, will you give me my inheritance? And the good, good father said, here's your inheritance. And then the younger son comes and he asks him, Father, will you take me back? And the dad again with open arms said, you're my son. I'd do anything for you. And the same is true for every one of us. The depth of the son's repentance was only matched by the dad's acceptance and his love. And I just want to remind you fathers today in your mistakes and your brokenness and the things you wish you could do again and again, mercy reaches down into your misery every time and redeems it. The question is, are you humble enough to come back to your father and ask him for grace? Good news today, fathers, I believe that Father's Day is to remind us all that we have a good dad. No matter your relationship with your dad on this earth. And for some of you, that's difficult. And I'm sorry. For some of you, that has blocked your view of your heavenly father. And for that, I'm sorry. My prayer today is that maybe God would do something in your heart. That you would see him for who he really is, not through who another broken human being is. So it's really simple this morning. I have nothing really profound to say. But I want to just give you these reminders this morning. Dads, you are loved. You're loved. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son, so that whatever dad would choose to believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Dad, you're loved. And it won't stop. And it will never end. And it's not dependent on your good dad skills. It's dependent upon Jesus Christ dying for you. And when he died once, it was enough. So he comes this morning and he says, my love was for this world and my love is for you. Father's Day could be a day of celebration like it was when the child came home. You might not get all your inheritance here today, but one day it says you're going to have a robe, you're going to have a ring, you're going to have some new kicks, and there's going to be a lot of feasting going on in heaven. But today is your day. For those of you who have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this could be the greatest celebration of Father's Day you could ever have. And I ask you, would you make a decision for Jesus today as your Savior? Because God's love was so great that he came for you to cover every sin that you might ever have. And he waits in your misery to give you mercy. And in your guilt, he wants to pour over you grace. And he says it's enough. Second thing is, he just tells you you're forgiven. I love what Martin Luther says. When I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. But when I look at Christ, I don't see how I can be lost. John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Dad, your mistakes and your failures and your mess-ups, they might have consequences, but you are not condemned before God this morning. You stand before him as his child and as his son and he calls you not guilty, 
We don't deserve it. We don't get it. It's not really fair, is it? (laughs) Yet that's the beautiful thing about our God. You do not stand condemned today. And the third thing is, your future is still being written. Remember that hotel lobby? Put that picture on the screen. Maybe that is your past. It's just kind of a mess. (laughs) And it's littered with mistakes and failures and shortcomings. I just want you to know you're not alone. Today is a reminder that your future is still being written. And your past does not have to define you. Uh, On my phone, I love the feature that Siri has uh, to set an alarm I love the feature that I say to Siri, remind me tomorrow at 8, I need to make this call or I need to do that. After the reminder comes, you know what I do? I delete it because I don't need to remember it anymore. The problem with me is I remember all the things that I shouldn't remember. And I forget all the things that I actually need to remember. Because the enemy wants me to remember over and over that I can't delete my past. But God comes every time and just says, Matthew, you're not condemned. The reminder of your past does not have to be the definer of your future, but that choice is up to you. Because God said, I died for all of that, and I sent my son for all of that. But many of you are allowing your past to really hurt your present and stunt your future. And all of us have a past, and all of us need the grace of God. But I pray today that you will know and understand this, that before God you are not condemned. And that those reminders of all the mistakes and things you have made are the enemy wanting to keep you down and in a place of regret. And the Heavenly Father wants to restore. And so today, um, he comes and he says, you're loved, you're forgiven, and your future is still being written. So what do we do with that? Well, I would pray for you dads just for today and for this week that this might become your prayer every day. You might want to take a picture of it. You might want to write it down. You probably can memorize it. But in you, Lord my God, the psalmist said, I, place, I put my trust. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. I love how he just started with the day. He didn't try and do a week. He didn't try and do a month. He just said all day long. So God, every morning I'm going to get up and I put my trust in you. I surrender myself to you. Teach me, guide me in your truth. My hope is in you. There's a lot of things I could leave uh, my son. Um, There's a lot of things I can't leave my son. But there's one thing that I'm going to do my best to leave him. And that is the memory that um, I, I served Jesus Christ. When he was 13, we, we had a, uh, a celebration of him becoming a man. And we had about 11 guys come over, and some of those guys are in this room. And I asked at the dinner that every man write my son a letter to tell them what they thought of Nolan, but the dreams they had for Nolan. And so I... I have this, he has this book that I have this morning. 
And it is full of all of those letters. It's full of some pictures. Everybody typed it except uh, my dad. He didn't have a computer. <laughs> but he wrote something to my son. It's pretty cool because he's got some pictures of his friends at camp. <laughs> and then in that picture, uh, a few of his buddies are here today. Uh, the other night, six out of nine were at our house. Eight years later. That's pretty cool. But I wrote him a little bit, and I'm going to read just a little bit for you today because this would be my prayer. Because dads, let me just tell you, um, the only thing you have worth passing on would be Jesus Christ. So as I write this letter, Nolan, I'm wanting you to know that I'm so glad that you're my son. It's such a high privilege and honor that God chose me to be your dad. And I remember the first day you entered the world as you changed our lives forever. To tell you the truth, becoming a dad was hard for me, as I was scared to death of all the responsibility that comes with parenting. When I met you, though, my fear started to go away and was replaced with this great joy that will be unexplainable to you until you actually become a dad. From the first day I met you and held you in my arms, I've had dreams and desires for you, and I so wanted to be that perfect dad, but as you know, that has not been the case, but my heart is for you. And I've now watched you for 13 years, and here are some of the things I love about you, and I listed all those things. But I got to the end, and I said, lastly, um, Nolan, I ask that you live for the higher price. The joy of one day, Christ telling you, well done, Nolan, well done. You bear my name, Nolan Matthew Cork. But that is really not the name that matters. For you see, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, you now bear His name. And that is the only one worth living for. This life is the opportunity God has given you to be an example for Him. And I look forward to helping you become all He has called you to be. Nolan, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm honored to be your dad. You are a special young man. And I pray you will remember this night is foundational in your life. As you transition from a child to a man, I am with you, I am for you, I will support you all the way. No, there is never anything you will ever do that I will not love you. You are my only son and I'll love you forever. Run the race God has given you. And I'm going to run alongside of you cheering you on the whole way. Dads, your kids have some races to run. And you could leave them money and you can leave them estates, and you can leave them cars, and you can leave them all the things that don't matter. But if you don't leave them Jesus Christ, you are missing out on the greatest investment you could ever make. I have no idea how my three children are going to walk with the Lord. They have what's called free will. And I prayed over them, and their faith has, has to be their own. It can't be their dad's. And I can't imagine how sometimes it sucks to be a pastor's kid. But I'm proud of all three of them because they've individually made decisions for Jesus. And my prayer is that it becomes their faith and not ours. And I want my son, when he's my age, to look back and read this and say that when he came into our house, there was one thing that was clear, that his dad loved Jesus. Dad, how is it at your home? What foundation are you setting? I always wonder when I come home from work, is this house going to be better because I have arrived? Is it going to be a place of warmth and safety and laughter and joy? Or am I going to bring down the temperature 
Is it going to be frozen? Is it going to be too hot? Am I going to be angry? What am I going to bring to this house? And I pray that every time I walk in that I make it a better place to be. Dan Blythe said this, young people are great imitators, so give them something to imitate. The difference between influencers and role models is that influencers shape the outside, role models shape the inside. I pray you become a role model. I know my family and, and my wife has about a three degree temperature variance. Um, she likes it like in the 72 to 75 range, maybe a little bit more, but there's a picture of a thermostat and a thermometer. I've thought about that a lot. We live in California. There's days that uh, it's a little hot here. Um, some days it's a little chilly. It rains like once a year, and so we get upset about that. Uh, but we're not here because of the temperature day to day. We're here because of the climate, one of the reasons. Our climate's pretty amazing. I pray that you're more the thermostat in your home than you are the thermometer. I pray that every time you come in, they don't know which dude to get or expect, and the temperature rises and it falls. I pray that you, 72 is a pretty good temperature. I pray, dads, when you come in, that um, you've prayed that prayer. God, I place my trust in you. Show me your ways. Teach me your paths. May I honor you in this home as I lead this home. Kids need a thermostat way more than they need a thermometer. And they need to know that the foundation that you set is one that is for them and for Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Hey, you got a father that loves you. You got a father that's for you. Today, you are loved, you are forgiven, and he's still writing your future. Run your race and run it for him and him alone. Will you stand with me? Jesus, thank you that today uh, we can call you good, you're trustworthy. Today we can come into this place and, and, and for us as fathers, thank you that our past doesn't have to define our future. Thank you for second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Thank you that God, um, you're pursuing us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're quick to forgive us and to put us in a robe of righteousness when we're unrighteous to put on a ring on our finger that, God, you brought honor and value in that story to the young man's life when he felt so lost and vulnerable and ashamed. And yet the dad, everything he did was to put him up and honor him in front of all the people to see. And yet everybody knew his story. And God, it's amazing that we didn't hear how the older brother ended up. We don't know what happened, but we just know he was bitter. And God, for some of us today, we maybe see ourselves in that frame. I pray that if someone needs that forgiveness today, that you would come and forgive. If someone needs to forgive a father today, that your grace would just rush over them right now. God, if there's some kids in here that have been pretty tough on their dad, Maybe they just chill a little bit. And maybe they'll start praying for him. 
And if there's a child in here, young or old, male or female, that has never accepted the hope of Jesus Christ in their life, that right now it would be a celebration and today would be their day of salvation. That they would say, God, I am going to trust you as the good father. That you have your best in mind for me and you sent your son to save me. And so I accept your free gift of salvation today. Forgive me. Change me. And I thank you right now for loving me. So God, we celebrate our dads today. I pray that we know we are loved and I pray we leave this place encouraged, understanding that we are who you say we are, that we are your child. So we celebrate that as we close. We worship and honor the name of Jesus Christ and we thank you for who you are. In your name we pray all of these things. Amen.